Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. is one of the most difficult things a person can do in their life. It can be very challenging. And in the culture that we live in, the temptation might be to do what everybody else is doing, just call the marriage quits and and move on. We have to realize, though, that we can't be guided by culture. You do understand that we live... In, in a very carnal culture, a very soft culture. Sharon and I have been watching and listening to a number of documentaries. I have been trying to, I've mentioned this a couple of times. We live in a, in a day and age where, in America, they're talking about socialism. Well, I wanted to e- educate myself. And I try to find objective sources that can inform me as to what socialism is, and its various forms, and capitalism, and what's true about both? What does the record say? I don't want some smooth-talking politician that may be lying through his or her teeth to influence me. The the issues we're facing today are serious enough that I'm going to do my homework, and I, I encourage you to do the same. I would highly encourage you to go online and Watch videos or listen, if you want to learn about economics, learn it from Thomas Sowell. Any of you have, have any of you heard the name Thomas Sowell? He is a black American, African American, I guess you'd call him, Harvard grad, I think Princeton and Columbia University, and conservative. He said that, and where am I going with this? I'm, going to, I'm coming back to what we're talking about here. But in my effort to educate myself, I had heard the name, and I looked him up, and I started listening to him. He's probably in his 80s now, written 30 books on economics. Extremely difficult topic. And grew up poor, grew up in, I think, was born in North Carolina, moved to Harlem, New York. And he said he used to work for Western Union delivering telegraphs. And he said he would get off work in the afternoon. He said he would, to go home, he'd have to go down, as I understood it, Fifth Avenue, which is the real ritzy part of New York. He said, and then things would change as he got to his house and he got to Harlem. And he said, I question that. Why? Why the rich people? Why the poor people? And what's the answer? And he started reading um, Marx, Karl Marx. Who believe, you know, socialism, communism, socialism. And he realized that's the answer. That'll fix this problem. And the guy interviewing him asked, he said, but you're not a Marxist now. He said, oh, no, not at all. He said, in fact, you are very much an outspoken, conservative, free market capitalist. And, and the guy asked him, he said, he said, yeah, for about 10 years I was a Marxist, and yes, I am very much now conservative, very much a free market capitalist. And he said, why? He said, the facts. He said, I studied the facts. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. 
Or quit, quit watching so much TV that doesn't make any sense. You're getting bored with it anyway. Invest. And you've got to go to sources that are legitimate. You've got to go to sources that are fair. Because even in some documentaries and what have you these days, they, they are slanted. But Sharon and I were watching another documentary. We watched this one on the way home yesterday. Any of you ever heard of, and the other guy's name was Thomas Sowell. He is inter- interesting to listen to. He makes economics about as simple as you can. Again, educate yourselves. And you're going to hear me say that quite a bit more in the future. When it comes to economics, when it comes to politics, all I'm saying is educate yourselves because I'm convinced that if you will seek out the facts, you will come down on the right side of the issues that are important to us today. So uh, Thomas Sowell. Then um, Sharon and I were listening to yesterday going home, Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska. Any of you ever heard of him? Bob? I, I don't know a whole lot about him, so maybe I shouldn't be saying much, but I, I, I saw him interviewed on Fox News one time, and the way he talked, I just thought, hmm, he, he just sounds different. He sounds different. And and I'm not even talking, when I mention that he's a senator, I'm not even referring to politics. What I'm talking about is a book that he wrote. He wrote a book about how young people today are having difficulty going from, and this, this is going to relate to what we're talking about here, people, young people today are having difficult, difficulty going from childhood to adolescence to adulthood. You, you've heard the trend today is that more and more young adults are living at home under their parents' roof. And there's a lot of statistics out there that are talking about how young people are not developing like they, they should. And he gave an illustration. He's a young guy, and he's, he studied at, I think, Harvard and Cambridge and Oxford over in England. And you can tell, listen, he's extremely bright. And I'm not making a political statement. I'm talking about culture. Okay, And... Uh, the guy that was interviewing him said, tell the story about the Christmas tree. And this was in relationship to his book. And his book dealt with the challenges of young people becoming adults in America today. And one of his things is, he says, because we're, we live in such ease. We live in such luxury. The greatest generation that we admire, they came through the Depression in World War II. And they were the greatest generation. We call this generation, the younger generation, the, the lazy generation, you know, or the whatever generation, the soft generation. And to illustrate his point, the, the interviewer asked him, he said, tell the story about the Christmas tree. He said, oh, well, this Senator Sass from Nebraska, um, soon after he graduated from college, he was young, he became the president of a small Midwestern university. I think it was Midland. Do you remember what the name? Sharon, you probably wouldn't remember. I think it was Midland. It's a small college. And he became the president of this college. And this happened when he was the president of the college that they had some students uh, that were on uh, payroll there that would do odd jobs and whatever. So I don't know. I think he said it was six or seven students, college students on staff there. And he said in the foyer of the gym on campus was this 20-foot Christmas tree. And he uses this as an illustration of how soft people are these days. Well, when you're raised in the richest country in the world, we don't have poverty anymore to speak of. We don't have hunger. We don't have disease. I mean, we got cell phones, drones, and all this stuff. So he's talking about that's having an effect. 
You know, we're not the rural society before that produced the people that won World War II and got us through the, the Great Depression. So he said they had this Christmas tree, and they had these students go down there, and he said, I want you to go down there and decorate that Christmas tree. So they were down there for a while, and then he said one of the staff members that worked under him walked through the gym, and they were walking off. The, the young people that, that had the responsibility of decorating the, the 20-foot Christmas tree. But only the bottom eight feet were decorated. And he said the bottom eight feet had twice the decorations that it should have had. And he said, my staff member walked by and I said, whoa, wait, where, where are y'all going? They said, we're done. He said, oh, would, would maintenance department not give you a ladder? They said, no, we, we didn't think about that. We're done. And he used that as an illustration of problems in America today. That they didn't get together and make decisions. They didn't take initiative. They just went, okay, we're, we're done. And he thinks that that reflects the softness of a lot of young people today. I said all of that to say this. When it comes to marriages today, a lot of us are soft. The first sign of trouble, we're throwing in the towel. Could it be that we really are, at least compared to our grandparents that we are a softer society today. We've got such leisure, such ease all about us. You know, yeah, the, the recession, that, that, was, that was a challenge, but from what I understand, nothing like the Great Depression. You know, we're not fighting any wars today. I mean, we are, but World War II, there were thir- something like, at Iwo Jima alone, 30,000 injuries, something like that. In one battle. You know, serious times. So we have to be careful. So when you find yourself, we, we tend to be soft. And maybe like, the, like we're the frog in the, in the boiling water. You know, you try to put a frog in a water that's boiling, he'll jump right out. But if you put him in the water and then bring it up to a boil, as I understand, I've never tried it. I don't recommend that you try it. But I hear that's what happens. He'll just stay there and he's done. Maybe we're like the frog that's in the water, even us. Maybe we don't realize how how soft we are. He was talking about his grandmother. Senator Sass was talking about his grandmother on the farm there in Nebraska. And he said he was enamored with the fact that her husband at that time, they were a young couple, he goes off to war. She's still there on the farm, and she figures out, she's got to do the plowing with the tractor. She figures out a way to put the bassinet with the baby, you know, hooked to the, and his, his grandmother said, I don't understand why you're so enamored. He's, she said, we just did what we had to do. I mean, we... I want to encourage you, educate yourselves. Sharon and I are doing that. I mean, we're doing it, and it's fa- fabulous, it, it, what, what, we're, what we're learning. I mean, you can get an education, say it at home. You know, if, you're, if you're looking at legitimate stuff and reading legitimate books. So what happens when you're faced with a challenge, husbands of a wife, that is difficult? And that can happen, just like wives can have husbands that are difficult. Well, I don't think there's any significance to the number of verses, but the Lord does talk about it through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. He is addressing 
the wives, and we went over that Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. And then he has one verse where he addresses the husbands who are dealing with the same situation. And again, I don't think there's any significance in the fact that there's six verses for the wives and one verse for the husband. It's a difficult situation whether you are a wife or a husband that's dealing with a, with a difficult spouse. My heart bleeds. I've sat in my office across from people who are married to very difficult people through the years. In some cases, it may be a mental thing. Some cases it may be a physical thing, and I think saddest of all are those that are dealing with a spouse that's dealing with a spiritual thing. Mentally they're okay, physically they're okay, but spiritually they're not. So in verse number 7, he says, Likewise, we went over that Sunday morning, that means referring back to what you just went over. Well, he's been going over uh, wives dealing with difficult husbands, so he says, Likewise... Ye husbands, dwell with them, talking about their wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And I cannot emphasize this enough. There is no better marital advice than this right here. This is the pentacle. Don't dismiss this. And don't think that you can modify it or change it. I mean, for me, if the Bible says it on whatever topic, that settles it, right? I mean, if the Bible says it, I can't change this. I can't argue with it. If I've got a difficult wife, I can't get any better help or instruction than what I'm getting right here. I don't have to wonder now what to do. And anybody that modifies this or think that they can ignore it does so at their own peril, and certainly the peril of their marriage. One writer says concerning this verse, here the charge to the husband is to exercise his loving duty of being sensitive to the needs, fears, and feelings of his wife, to subordinate his needs to hers, whether she is a Christian or not. Husbands are to show consideration, chivalry, and companionship. That's something else. Not only do we need to study and inform ourselves with what's going on around us, but we need to raise, we need to raise up the conversation. We need to be talking about and thinking about things that are noble, things that are just, things that are that are righteous. We need to get our minds out of the gutter of the news that's going on and the drama that's going on. And on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, come here and lift our minds up to things that are noble, things that are true, things that are trustworthy. He says here, dwell, talking about a man living with a difficult woman, unsaved, backslidden, dwell with them according to knowledge. The first thing he says is dwell with them. And I emphasize this Sunday because I think God's word is emphasizing this. The wife might be tempted to flee. So he says, no, stay there. And what does he say to the husband? The same thing, dwell with them. The temptation might be, hey, this is hard. I'm not going to live with this the rest of my life. I'll take my chances with you, Lord, and with everybody else. If you want to know what God says and if you want to get it right... And he says, dwell with them. Don't look for an out, even though it might be tempting. 
One writer says the King James Version calls the husband to live with his wife according to knowledge. This writer says that's a good way to put it. Know your wife. Study her. Get to know what makes her tick. Figure out how her mind works and learn what her gifts are, her desires, her talents, her hopes, and dreams. Dwell with her according to knowledge. When couples come into my office for marriage coaching, what they're going to do is learn about each other. Men get frustrated with women. Women are weird. Amen? (laughs) But women say, I don't get it. Men are weird. No, they're different. And that's what we're, that's, that's what he's not. So you have to know them. You have to take the people that come to my office. I tell them you're doing something. 90% of the people in America don't know you're investing in your marriage. I'm going to teach you about her and I'm going to teach you about him. And you're going to understand each other better than ever before. And you won't be making jokes about each other. You won't be throwing your hands up in the air. You're going to understand her. Yes, she is different. Yes, he is different. So it says here in scripture, Dwell with them according to knowledge. And let me give you real quick here the the, the basis of that difference. One of the things that, you know, a a woman's needs and a man's needs are entirely different. And I use a lot, I use most all of what Dr. uh, Willard Harley teaches. He's a Christian psychologist or psychologist, I guess. And uh, he's been doing this for 100 years and he's done thousands of couples I, I just think this guy understands marriage better than anybody maybe in the world today. And after you meet with a thousand couples for 40, 50 years, you begin to see some patterns. You begin to learn some things. And he acknowledges that the average woman, and some of you have been through this, you've seen this before, it's a good reminder. The average woman, the number one need of an average woman, fellas, is affection. True affection. Not affection with an ulterior motive, if you know what I mean, but just affection. Affection is signs and symbols of care. Affection is me coming home and stopping by the store and getting Sharon uh, a bag of cashews. No, pistachio. I'm not very affectionate because I come home with the wrong thing. Pistachios. Did I get it right? Just, just, just a little thing like that. And, and you see, it's hard for men to understand that because when she comes home, I don't need her to bring me a little bag of pistachios. I'm good. You see, we're different. And I teach couples that, and the light begins to go on. Okay, no, she's not weird. That's just, that's the way God made her. She has that need for affection. And that's why y'all are fighting because you never show her any affection. Except, so affection and conversation. A lot of men don't have the need to talk. Well, whether you have the need to talk or not, understand your wife does. How do I know that? One, because Dr. Harley said. <laughs> but number two, I've interviewed enough couples today to know that when a husband doesn't talk to his wife, he thinks of it as, I just don't need to talk. She interprets that as, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's got time to talk to everybody else at work and all the guys and comes to church. He can talk, 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 but he gets home and on the ride home in the car, he just shuts up. And her husband said, well, I don't need that. No, she does. She does. Honesty and openness. 
huge need. You know, if you want to withdraw love units from the love bank, just lie to your wife. Lie to your spouse. You know, you may forget an argument. Have you argued one day and the next day you forgot what it was? What were we arguing about? You know, Sharon and I argue so often, we can't remember all of them. But a lie, she'll remember a year from now. She won't forget that. They need financial support. They need family commitment. So when the Bible says dwell with them according to knowledge, you need to take the time. That's biblical. That's not me. He said, God said dwell with them according to knowledge. That means learn your wife. So... You come to the pastor for coaching. You, 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 get, you, you don't want to come for the coaching? Okay, I'll, I'll put the books in your hands. And, and, and you can learn some things, okay? So, again, this is what the Bible... And, and don't think that you can go around this and it's going to be okay. Now, if the Bible says to dwell with them according to knowledge and you don't take the time to study your wife and you don't take the time to get some counseling or coaching, as I prefer to call it, then, you know, you, you think you know better? Then what God says, you're just putting yourself, and I don't mean to sound ugly here, but it, I, I want it to sound tough. You're putting yourself in the position of a fool. A fool is somebody who can't put two and two together. A fool, don't, he doesn't figure it out. And then it says in that same verse, giving honor unto the, the wife. Giving honor to the wife. Too many men treat their wives like property, which is the way it was done for centuries. Read this comment, this quote. This was a radical teaching in the world of Peter for a husband to honor his wife. In that ancient culture, a husband had absolute rights over his wife. See, this is novel teaching. And the wife had virtually no rights in the marriage. In the Roman world, if a man caught his wife in the act of adultery, he could kill her on the spot. But if a wife caught her husband, she could do nothing against him. All the duties and obligations in marriage were put on the wife. Peter's radical teaching is that the husband has God-ordained duties and obligations toward his wife. If you're living with a difficult Woman, that doesn't mean, okay, I can call it off. No. All the more reason to experience God's grace and be able to give honor to your wife. Another gentleman said, a godly husband knows how to make his wife feel honored. Though she submits to him, though she submits to him, he takes care that she does not feel like she is an employee or living under a dictator. We honor our, we don't, men can be crude, rude, abrasive, and ugly. And we men have to realize that that is just ungodly. And that is no way to win anybody, much less your wife. And it says, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Weaker vessel. One writer says, Peter's point is not that the wife is in any way inferior. She is not. 
but that she is physically weaker. I mean, again, just the facts. It's just the fact. I don't care what the um, women libbers say. I don't care what's politically correct. It is a fact that the average woman, and I'm sure there's exceptions, the average woman is physically weaker Therefore, in need of protection, provision, and strength from her husband. So the weaker vessel does not imply that she's weaker in any way other than the obvious, which would be physical strength for that reason. You know, men and women don't compete against each other in in physical activities. It, It wouldn't be a fair fight. The disparity of the sexes was the cause of the degradation of woman, uh, women among the heathen. Christianity makes it the ground of tender consideration. And then he says, need to wrap this up, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. That is significant. Heirs together. Remember in the culture when this was written, women were pretty much property. That women, uh, that men could do with them whatever they please. Well, look at, look, listen to the significance of what Peter is telling them. Being heirs together of the grace of life. Heirs together. I mean, that's profound back when this was written. Albert Barnes said this passage contains a very important truth in regard to the female sex. Under every other system of religion but the Christian system, woman has been regarded as in every way inferior to man. Christianity teaches that in respect to her higher interests, the interests of religion, she is, in, she is every way his equal. She is entitled to all the hopes and promises which religion or our faith imparts. She is redeemed as he is. She is addressed in the same language of tender invitation. She has the same privileges and comforts which religion imparts here, and she will be elevated to the same rank and privileges in heaven. We are heirs together of the grace of life. So a husband living with a difficult wife is not in a position to say, as were maybe the ancients, you know, I'll just do away with you. You can just get on out of here. You can go find yourself another life. No, you're heirs together of the grace of life when your life works in her life to get her saved or to get her right with God. And then he says this, that your prayer be not hindered. That your prayer be not hindered. The Lord gives us a free will. He gives us his word, and we can choose to obey it or not. And when it comes to a difficult spouse, he gives us his word very clearly, and we can choose to obey it or not. But if you choose to not obey it, or if you choose to modify it, or if you choose to just kind of play at it, or, well, we'll see. I'll give it a try. There are consequences. One of the consequences is, and this is kind of a generalized statement, but one of the consequences is that your prayer be not hindered. I don't have this quote up there because it's a little longer quote, but let me just share it with you quickly. Peter closes with a strong and strange warning. This is the motivation for taking his words with the utmost seriousness. You know, don't play around with what God has told you. That your prayers be not hindered. The word for hindered is a military term for an army digging a trench and a road to stop the enemy's advance. It describes what Satan will do in your spiritual life. If husbands do not take this seriously, Satan will dig a trench and your prayers will never get through. 
We all know that an automobile engine gets out of whack if only one little piece malfunctions. Likewise, our bodies have one breakdown and we end up in the hospital. There's a delicate balance between the physical and the spiritual. A marriage that is out of tune emotionally or physically will soon be out of tune spiritually. To put it bluntly, you can't ignore your wife and get through to God. The Almighty takes the side, this writer says, of the weaker vessel. When we are truly one with each other, then we are truly one with God. So as I gave the ladies practical application based on my experiences to help make this verse happen, to, to help you to, to, to live this verse accurately, similar to what I told the ladies, number one, be faithful in church. When you're going through marital problems, you're all emotional, you're all mad, you're all stressed out, and the devil's going to say, or you're going to say, I don't feel like going today. That's the very day you need to go the most. Be faithful in your daily devotions. And again, the same thing there. If you're mad and upset, no, I don't feel like reading my Bible now. No, that's the time we need to read it the most. Being involved in ministry. You may be married to a very difficult woman. She may be unsaved. She may be hounding you ragging on you all the time. She may be a miserable person to come home to. So you need some area where you can be constructive, where you can see some good results, so where you can be involved, where you can be engaged. So be involved in ministry. Number four, get counsel from godly men. Godly men is the key. Number five, do demonstrate affection, even though she's not returning it. You need to demonstrate affection. Number six, you pray for patience and wisdom. And number seven, the same warning that I gave to the ladies Sunday. Do not confide in other women. Because if a husband's needs is not being met at home, he too becomes vulnerable. That is a fact. He becomes vulnerable. Not that that's an excuse for a husband to cheat on his wife, but oftentimes it is a reason. So you don't want to, you know, you know, some lady at work sees that you're down and she's compassionate and she comes over and sits down at the lunch table and before you know it, you're spilling your guts to her and you're making an emotional connection that you're only supposed to have with your wife. And that can become very dangerous and disastrous. We'll close with this and and the verse again. I, I love this. The husband must be the thermostat in the home. He sets the temperature. Setting the emotional and spiritual temperature. The wife often is the thermometer. Letting him know what the temperature is. Both are necessary. The husband who is sensitive to his wife's feelings will not only make her happy, but will also grow himself and help his children live in a home that honors God. I have said before, I think it's been a while, that if you want to know, fellas, how you're doing as a husband, and this isn't 100% true because some women have mental issues and a husband can be the perfect husband, but if she's got mental issues, if she is dealing with bitterness, 
I think the thing that I have seen the most through the years that destroys a marriage when it comes to the wives, it can be the husbands sometimes, but we're talking about husbands with difficult wives tonight. The thing that I've seen the most through the year that has damaged a wife and has hurt, therefore, the relationship with her husband are women that it's not emotional issues or mental issues, it's bitterness. Bitterness. And they become bitter at men. Maybe it's something that happened to them in childhood. You know, I don't know. But anyway, my opinion, based on 40 years of ministry, what have I seen the most that has hurt marriages when it's on the woman's end, on the woman's side? In most cases, I would say, this isn't biblical, this is opinion. You know, what I've seen is, is bitterness. Women that are just bitter, and they never get over it, and it it builds a barrier between them and their husband. It may not, sometimes it could be their husband's fault in their mind, but that never excuse, that still doesn't excuse bitterness. It could be something that happened to them tragically as a child. And again, that's horrible. But bitterness is not the way to, to handle it. So it is true that if you want to know how you're doing as a husband, in a lot of occasions, not all occasions, is just look at the countenance of your wife. And that'll tell you because you're the thermostat and she's the, the thermometer most often. And then lastly, we're done. Let's just go back and look at that last verse. Thankfully, God tells us how to handle these situations. You're not going to get any better advice. You can go look for somebody. You, you know, what people will do, they'll go and they'll look until they find somebody that tells them what they want to hear. That, that's the danger you get into when you're facing a problem. You, you don't want to hear what the pastor says, especially a conservative Bible-believing pastor. You know, you'll, you'll shop till you find somebody tells you what you want to hear. That, that I knew it. That's right. I, I, I can leave her. Well, you come to get counsel from me, I'm going to point you to this book every time. Every time. And that's one of the reasons some people don't come to me sometimes, because they know. You can't get any better advice than this. You can't. There's no place you would rather me point you than this book, if I'm a good pastor. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I will be the first one to say, a husband or a wife, let's summarize it that way, that's living with a difficult, insensitive husband might be one of the greatest challenges you'll ever face. And right now, it may appear hopeless because it's been going on for years, and if anything, maybe it's gotten worse. Those of us that may know people in that situation, whether it's a man with a difficult wife or a wife with a difficult husband, if if you're kind of an inside friend and you know he has confided in you, fellas, or ladies, she has confided in you, Be a good friend to that person. Encourage them any way you can. And encourage them to do the right thing, the biblical thing. It just might be that God brought you into their life that you're going to help them. Uh, Cindy Doobie, uh, Sally Doobie said Sunday, what, 40 years she prayed for Joe? I've got a cousin down at Central Baptist Church in Baton Rouge, uh, Joyce Robinson. Uh, Her husband, she prayed for him, Sharon, I don't know, 20, 30 years, he got it. So it, it can happen. But even, let's just be honest, 
even if that spouse goes to their grave lost or backslidden, it's still right for us to do the right thing. And the right thing is what God says. And there will be, we will benefit from that and we will be a better person. We need to understand that the Lord has allowed that for a reason. And we can't, we shouldn't waste a bad experience. It's, that's a bad experience being married to somebody who's difficult. Because you go to, you, you can't get away, you go home to them every day. And they can be cutting, they can be cunning, they can be, they're, they're the words out of their mouth can hurt terribly. But God might use that to make you a mature Christian and a blessing to so many other people that maybe otherwise you might never have been. It's a hard thing. But those of us, and we'll close with that, if you know somebody in that situation, fellas, you got a guy friend that's in a tough situation, be a good friend to him and pray for him and encourage him and encourage him to do the right thing. Ladies, you got a lady friend that's in a tough situation like that, be a good friend to them. 